Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Best ever backdrops are the first and only 100% waterproof, completely stain-proof, and ridiculously lightweight backdrops on the market. Each weighs under a pound, comes with two textures of your choice, and comes with free shipping in the U.S. They also ship worldwide, and best of all, they are never out of stock. Unlike some other companies that sell those tiny square surfaces, Best Ever Backdrops are available in two sizes, a large standard two foot by three foot size and oversized. Choose your own textures from the Mix and Match collection or select from 11 different curated collections. Go to besteverbackdrops.com and at checkout, use the code EBT for eBlogTalk15. So that's EBT15 for a 15% off discount. Again, that's besteverbackdrops.com, discount code EBT15. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I will be having a chat with Matthew Isaacs from myemissions.com, and we are going to talk about why food blogs should be displaying carbon footprint labels for recipes. Since the beginning of lockdown, Matt and his co-founder Nathan have been researching and collecting the average emissions of each food. Based on current research, about two-thirds, 66% of people are doing everything they can to reduce their carbon footprint. However, without clear environmental information, it's hard to reduce the impact of their diet, which usually represents about 25% of your annual footprint. They have developed the first carbon label for food blogs, like nutritional information. This allows sites to display the carbon footprint of their recipes in a simple and understandable way. Uh, Matthew, I know nothing about this topic. I am here to learn from you today. I'm excited to learn from you today. But before we get into carbon footprint labels, I would love it if you gave us a fun fact about yourself. Uh, fun fact about myself, um, I guess I'm, I'm an avid runner and I'm setting up a park run in my local area and for my local park so that every Saturday morning there'll be a different competitive uh, five kilometre race, getting people up and active and using the local park. So that's something I'm involved in at the moment. Oh, that's cool. Have you been a runner your whole life? Uh, since secondary school um, and progressively got more involved and enjoyed it. I'm, I'm very much a casual runner, but I, I do it all the time. Um and uh, yeah, I've been involved setting this up uh, in, in my local community. And right now, I think more than ever, it's so important to get people outside and encouraged to get out in nature and just experience nature, right? I mean, this is the time to do that. So I love that you're doing that now. Well, thanks for sharing that. You are here to talk about carbon footprints and re- these recipe cards and how you've incorporated those together. Would you kick off our conversation just by talking about what carbon labels even are and tell us why they are important? So all foods have a, have a carbon footprint and, and actually everything has a carbon footprint. It leads to emissions um, and carbon footprint labels, I guess, is, is just a way of 
displaying those carbon footprint values in a way that people, I guess, can understand. And very much like nutritional information, it's about, I guess, quantifying what is the, the average uh, carbon footprint of a, of a food of, or of a meal and working out where the emissions come from, building up the different life cycles um, that, that are required to, to make and develop different foods and then um, finding a way of displaying that in a, in a nice and easily quantifiable way. And, and the way of that is, is presenting the values as uh, what is called carbon dioxide equivalents. So we measure carbon footprints and the emissions based on essentially how much carbon dioxide or the equivalent impact of carbon dioxide is given off from the greenhouse gas emissions. How do you do that? Where do you start with figuring that out? Well, it's it's very complex. And that's the reason why we see nutritional information, and but we don't see carbon information and carbon footprinting. Um, as you say, it's it's all about trying to work out what is required to make or grow a certain food. What kind of food is used? What kind of fertilizer is is used? How much energy is used to, um, you know, either, uh, you know, if it's something like eggs, for example, putting them in an incubator, or, or if it's about powering a greenhouse, or or anything else involved, the transport emissions that are involved on an average process, the packaging, everything has to kind of be built up and factored in, and what we've what we've been doing, I guess, over the last nine months or so is collecting lots of these reports that have been completed together and using that to come up to, to create a database of these carbon footprint values and, and averaging those, um, those values that we've got from lots of different reports, uh, allowing us to get a, a comprehensive database, I guess, um, having all of the values in, in one place is what then allows us to be able to quickly calculate the carbon footprint of a different recipe. It, it does lead on to why uh, the, the carbon labels are important in many ways. It's so complex. It's so difficult to understand, but also as I've sort of, I guess, alluded to, so much of the emissions happen right well early on in the life cycle of our food. It comes from the farming a lot of the time and that's something that people don't see it's something that people most of the time aren't really aware of and unless there is something like a carbon label or something that gives information on on I guess the whole life cycle of a food um, people aren't going to be aware of what emissions was required to grow a certain food and people aren't going to be aware of essentially what they need to do to uh, reduce the carbon footprint um, from their diet. You know, if we talk about food bloggers, many of them might not realise how much low carbon food they have. What are that? What recipes have they got which is low carbon? And on the flip side, what recipes have they got that's that's high carbon? And if you do have a high carbon recipe and you want to reduce it, well, how can you do that? And a lot of the time, without some kind of lab label or carbon footprint value, which looks at the entire life cycle of a food it's almost impossible to start to start thinking about that. Can you give us an example of maybe a recipe with high carbon food inside of it and how we could make it more low carbon? Uh, so I guess one one easy or good example of um, 
I'm going to say food, I guess, is, I guess dairy um, and milk has a higher carbon footprint than some plant-based alternatives like oat milk, uh, soy milk, almond milk. And um, so one very easy way that people could reduce the carbon footprints of um, of meals containing um, milk would be to, to suggest using dairy-free alternatives and the same with butter and um, I guess cheeses as well. Um, and so that's just a small thing that people can do. Um, there is also, I guess, a, a slightly different example, which is about eating seasonal vegetables. Um, I talked earlier about energy being a big part of the the emissions from a different from food. And a lot of the time when food is grown out of season, it has to be grown in greenhouses and that leads to more energy. And that's why seasonal foods and seasonal vegetables are so important because they grow naturally. You don't require any um, energy from the greenhouse and and therefore it has a much lower carbon footprint. So by promoting seasonal foods, um, that's a really good way of um, helping people to reduce their carbon footprints. There's like a deep underlying message there when you are forcing something to grow outside of its normal growth period or growth cycle, that's not good, right? I think that applies to pretty much everything in this entire world, but we do it. We are humans who want our vegetables when we want them. And so that requires them to be grown outside of what is normal for them and natural. And there's like a message there. I don't, when you said that, I was like, holy cow, that is, that's like really impactful for me to hear that. So that really does make me want to look at like what is seasonal right now and to really utilize that instead of just like, what do I want to eat? <laughs> you know, like I can adapt. There's so much food in the world. Most of us can probably adapt to what is seasonal, right? Exactly. Exactly. And actually what's interesting is, I mean, I've obviously learned about, about this so much over the last few, few months, sometimes your carbon footprint will be lower if you buy vegetables that were grown in season, even if they were transported and imported into your country, rather than buying the same vegetable grown locally, but grown out of season. And actually sometimes the emissions from growing something out of season, and therefore the energy that's required and the greenhousing and everything else, might m mean that the emissions are much higher than if you'd have bought food that was imported but was grown seasonally. That won't apply for all foods, um, but for a lot of vegetables, it, it's, it does apply. Wow, that is really interesting, and that gives me something to think about. And I think everyone listening will too, because we cook and we bake a lot, and we're just kind of like, we need this ingredient, give it to us no matter what the cost. But that really puts that, um, that concept of like doing things that go against nature at the forefront of our minds. So I'm curious, what prompted you to start investigating this topic in the first place? Uh, so me and my co-founder, I guess we wanted to live more sustainably. We wanted to reduce our own carbon footprint. And we started to look at, look at foods and realized actually it was really difficult to work out in an easy to understand way what, what we can do to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, and I guess we both, uh, have a real uh, we like working with data we want to know the numbers and everything and um, and therefore that really attracted us to starting to look into this research to see what's out there and 
it really has, I guess, gone gone from there. We realised that the data was there. We realised that it existed. And so we thought about trying to collect it together and put it into a database, which we can then use. And then once we have it in, in one place, it, it becomes so powerful in, in what we can do with it. Um, so it has it, it started off as, as quite a simple thing. It was essentially me and my co-founder, Nathan, wanting to do something that, that would help us to reduce our carbon footprints. Um, it started as a project and then we've, we've taken it from there. So it's a passion project, which I feel so strongly about passion projects because when there's passion that kind of oozes out of it and it, I don't know, it like stirs up passion in other people. So I love that, that you started it from a just really pure place of wanting to make the world a better place and to live more, um, I guess, sustainably, right? Use that word yourselves. So we kind of talked about this a little bit, but why do you think, give us a case for why food bloggers listening should put this on the recipe cards? So I think the the first thing I would say is so many people are becoming more aware about climate change and about sustainability and about the environment. And there's a real desire for, for clear information. And and displaying these values and having a carbon label, it not only, I guess, shows a commitment to the, the environment for, for yourself as a food blogger, it also it gives all of your users and all of your followers some really engaging content, some really clear content, so that they can look at your recipes and, and trust that it, it is low carbon. Or even, if, even if it's not a low carbon recipe, they can at least know and see exactly what the emissions are. Um, because even, and I mean, we look at nutritional information. There's there's lots of foods which have a high uh, high calorie count, or they they they're high on the nutrition scales. But but people will still buy them, and it's I guess it's about empowering people with with that knowledge so that they can understand you know what's what treat is a what meal is a treat compared to what meal might I cook every day. And so that would be I guess the first the first point, and the second. I would say is that a lot of food bloggers you will you will naturally have a lot of low carbon foods and having having a label on there will really showcase and highlight those recipes and it will you know for all of your sustainably conscious users they, they'll look at that and really want to want to cook it want to make it and and essentially want to share it and and so we we feel that there's there's some real engaging content that's being created from it and especially on social media with so many people caring about climate change and the environment, they're really engaging with the, the labels that we're putting on the website so far. I was going to ask you, do you think there are certain niches that should do this over others, like niches that maybe have more high carbon foods or niches with more low carbon foods? Or do you think that it's beneficial for everybody? I, I would love it if every um, website or every uh, blog uh, had it. I guess um, we've noticed that a lot of, I guess, plant-based or um, seasonal or already, like, I know, veg- vegetarian or um, environmental blogs are, have really been attracted to us so far. And that's partly because a lot of those foods do have a low carbon footprint. And and so if you are in that, that area, then... then more likely, I guess, you, you will have lots of low-carbon recipes. And so having the, the labels will really showcase that and really highlight that to, to all your users. And I guess it will help to quantify any claims that you might make about um, about the environment and what, um, 
and what impact your recipes would have on the environment. And even for a reader who doesn't really, I shouldn't say like doesn't really care, but maybe um, sustainability isn't on their radar as much. I still think that's really valuable because we can all be responsible for educating people no matter where they're at on the spectrum, right? So if someone comes and they're like, oh, I didn't know about this, that's cool. And then they see it on the recipe card and then they can maybe be more educated about it. So we can take that as an opportunity to teach people a little bit. Exactly. And I think it's it's hard for me to say that X number of people want a carbon label because, I mean, as you mentioned at the start, we're the first company that is offering a carbon label to food blogs and only a handful of carbon labels exist for food products. It's not something that people have seen. It's not something that people are aware of. And so it's natural that no one will probably ask you specifically for a carbon label. But I think, as you say, almost like with nutritional information, going back 30 years, we're almost in a very similar place. The moment we start having those labels displayed, it really will begin to like kickstart a conversation. And you'll, you'll be educating your users, you'll be teaching them about emissions, you'll be empowering them. And all of those things will help to build, I guess, some, some brand loyalty, some engagement with your site and and, and lots of opportunities to sort of talk with and, and educate your users. And, and that will apply to to all, all blogs and websites. Yeah, I agree. I think that's all great. I'm curious about your database. It must be huge. Where do you store it and how do you add to it? Do you add on a continual basis? Do you feel like it's kind of um, at a place where you have most everything you want? What's it like? <laughs> it's not in a place where we want it yet um i can tell you it's it's i guess constantly evolving and um as as we get more sites and more foods are requested we can do more research to sort of fill the gaps if there's any foods that have been missing um so if someone comes to us and uh, we've recently had to add vegan yogurt for example as a, a food in our database or jackfruit as well as another one and so those are constantly um, it's, it's constantly expanding to add more foods and similarly more and more research is being released and so we've quite a lot of connections within I guess the academic researchers and, and within the industry and so whenever new research comes out um, we we use that and we update our values in our database so that all of the all of the values um, are as accurate and as up-to-date as we can make them and um, and yeah, so in that sense, I, it will be a constantly evolving uh, database, essentially. What is the carbon footprint of jackfruit? I'm curious. Oh, I don't have the, uh, the exact numbers to my mind. I think it's probably, uh, if I remember, about two and a half kilograms of CO2 per kilogram, which is a pretty average, I think, um, uh, impact for a, um, for a vegetable um or fruits i can't remember um yeah no that's all right i was just curious if it were if it was like high or low because they're such a weird food (laughs) i don't know where they come from (laughs) it's it wasn't massively exceptional from what i saw um and so what's a good number like what is a good range or what are we aiming for i guess so we have a fair daily food emissions value and that's one that we've calculated as a global value which everyone should, I guess, strive for, um, we've called it. And for that, it's about three, just over three kilograms of CO2 a day. And um, 
that is actually, I guess it's quite a low number. Most people's carbon footprint will be higher than that. Um, and partly that's because it's a, we've used a global value. Um, what that means, I guess, is if you're in a country, um, I guess, sadly, like myself in the UK and, and the US and, and the European Union, the, the carbon footprint from foods for most people is much higher than average. So I guess one of our messages is, is saying, if you have got a high carbon footprint already, then you should be doing more to try and reduce that carbon footprint. And that's something I've taken on board myself, I guess, as I've, you know, I started this um, eating meat quite regularly. And I guess one thing I've done is, is, is reduced how much meat I eat and try and keep it as a treat. Um, because meat does have, and animal products do have a higher carbon footprint. Um, oh, I love meat, Matthew. <laughs> then there's, it's also been a really fun, fun experience for me finding more either vegetarian or, or plant-based meals. And I, I still do eat meat. I'm not a vegetarian, and I don't, I don't necessarily like putting people into specific categories. I would, I will still eat a high carbon meal, but I just don't. I won't eat a high carbon meal every day, for example. And and that's with the data that we're giving people, hopefully we can start educating people about that and saying, well, you can have, you know, if you want to have beef or lamb, you can, you can still do that, but maybe just try and have a few low carbon meals over the next few days to try and balance that out. And there are so many products that are available now that weren't even available a few years ago that are kind of mind-blowing, honestly. It's like all vegetables, all plant-based ingredients, but it's like presented as meat or like a meat product, right? I just got, somebody sent me one the other day that I can't remember what exactly was in it, but it wasn't meat. And I was like, whoa, I could eat this. This is really good. There are more and more things being made all the time that can fulfill that kind of like meat texture, you know, like the meat purpose on your plate or in your meal without actually being meat. Exactly. And and that's that's just one example. I mean, I've been eating some more like vegetarian curries. I had I um, I mean, we're we're sharing lots of different vegan recipes this month to try and um help people doing veganery, I guess. And um I've been trying some of the recipes we've been sharing and there's been some amazing vegan curries um that I've been experimenting with and and exploring and learning lots of new different flavors but I guess one thing I'd say is I don't see our label as labels as just speaking to those low carbon foods I think even if you do have high carbon recipes people will still will still eat them and I think they will still be empowered by knowing what the emissions are so they know it's more of a treat recipe rather than like a maybe an everyday recipe but I still think there's so much value in that and and so much opportunity for people to learn. Yeah, that's it right there is just educating people because this is not really something that's on my radar and I'm a food blogger. So you can imagine how just the average user who's looking for a lasagna recipe is probably feeling. They probably don't know either. Yeah, it's just like a whole educational process for us and for our users. Exactly. And I guess one thing I've sort of not maybe mentioned so much as well we do give um all the food bloggers we work with we give them a breakdown of their their recipes and and all the values it can if you've got lots of recipes it can get more complicated um but we do we do try and give you some analysis on 
on where the emissions from your foods are coming from, which one of your recipes are high carbon, which ones are your low carbon recipes. And, um, and trying, as you say, not just educating consumers, but educating you as food bloggers, what can you do to reduce the carbon footprint of your food? Where where are your emissions coming from? What ingredients are causing this? And um, and so there's there's so much learning opportunity um, as part of this. How do we actually go about doing this? How does it work? And how do we as food bloggers add this information to our recipe cards? So I guess the first thing um, that I guess we're quite excited by is we are actually integrating with two recipe card plugins over the next few weeks. The first one is the WP Recipe Maker plugin, and the second one is the Recipes Generator um, recipe cards. And for those users especially, it's going to be really easy to get all of these values. All you do is you would sign up with us, and you um, everything then happens automatically. Essentially, all of your recipes are sent basically to our um, to us. And we will calculate the carbon footprint of all your recipes from using the ingredients and weights that are displayed for them. And automatically, once those are all calculated, the labels will start appearing within your recipe cards. At all points, I guess you've got control over where those where those uh, recipes, like where the label is displayed in the recipe cards, and even as well which one of your recipes you do or don't want um, to have a carbon label for. At all point, there's that. At all points, there's that control, and and actually, at that point, it very much is just activate the the plugin, activate the integration, and we do all of the work for you. There's no manual entry. Um, there's, I guess, no. It, it does almost like I don't want to say appear as magic. It's um, more complicated than that, but um, but for but us, we, it's magic. From our end, it's magic. <laughs> exactly, and and you'll get. The labels will start appearing. You'll see the values. You'll get sent a report so you can see the breakdowns and how those are all calculated. If there's anything that doesn't look right, you can you can send it back to us and say, you know, that doesn't look right, and and, and either we can change it or or give a bit of an explanation. And and you know, if there's certain recipes you don't want the carbon labels for, um, you don't have to display them on everyone. Um, there's always that level of control, but but in terms of actually adding them and getting them then everything is essentially done done for you by us. Is there a cost? There is a free uh, version. So every food blog can get 20 carbon labels for free. That's something we give to everyone. Um, but as, as we sort of talked about, um, it, it, there is a lot of work that we've had to do to, to build this database. It is very complicated. And as I said, it's, it's something that's going to expand and improve over time. And, and therefore, we do have to charge um, a small amount. So for those partnerships and those plugins, if you've got the WP Recipe Maker plugin or the Recipes Generator recipe cards, um, it would just be, it's 20 pounds or 20, I think it's seven year, uh, dollars uh, for up to 100 recipes or 40 pounds or about $50 for unlimited recipes. So that's the most you would be paying. And as I say, everything then would be done for you. It all happens automatically through the plugin and at all points you have that control. Um, We've come to those prices to try and make them as as cheap as we can to try and um, get them taken up by as many people as possible. But we we do sadly have to charge a small amount for them. No, that's totally fair and understandable. It sounds like you have put a lot of work into this, a lot of heart and a lot of time and energy. So absolutely. And I feel like that's such a small fee for the value that it would add, especially 
just depending on the food blogger, if this is something that's really important to a food blogger, and I do know some that really put a focus on sustainability and communicating those sorts of things to their audience. So I think it's great that you guys are charging. You clearly have a passion for this and a love for what you're doing. So yeah, I think that's great. Um, Okay. Is there anything else we should know about it? Did we miss anything, Matthew? I don't think so. No, other than I guess just reinforcing that we are very early on and actually any blogger that comes on board with us now will be able to call themselves one of the first blogs or one of the first websites to be displaying carbon labels or carbon um, footprint values. And I think that is also quite an empowering thing, I think. And to be able to be there right at the start um, when, you know, carbon labels are hardly talked about, you, you have an opportunity to become a change maker, to be ahead of the trend. And, um, you know, if there are any other benefits that come from carbon labels in the future, um, then then you'll be like first in line for those. And um, so it's, it's so much opportunity. It's so early on that if you loved you to come on board and um, sort of be there for the journey with us. We just go into our plugin area on our WordPress dashboard, right? And we search for, is it just my emissions? So yeah, it's not actually that there is a plugin. Um, so it's not there yet. If, you, if you're not using WordPress Recipe Maker or Recipes Generator, then you have to come direct to us. And you can just find us at myemissions.green. And um, alternatively, if you've got the WP Recipe Maker plugin, or if you use Recipes Generator, you just go into your backends and, and find the integration section or the setting section. And there's a link to our website where you can then sign up and, and instructions there on, on how to um, and how to activate the integration. You don't have to download anything or add any code or anything like that. Um, I think at most it's just like an API key um, to activate it. And, and then it all happens for you automatically. Well, that sounds easy. I'm very intrigued by this. And I can see this being huge for food bloggers. So many people are interested. And this is on a lot of people's radars. So thank you for sharing everything that you have today, Matthew. It was a pleasure having you. And just, I feel enlightened. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely to speak about it. Yeah, yeah. You can tell that it's something that you really love. And I love talking to people who talk about things they love, right? So before you go, do you have a quote or words of inspiration to share with us? Uh, So I have. I've taken one from from David Attenborough, who I think talks to so many people and, and has done so much about the environment. And recently he said, it is surely our responsibility to do everything within our power to create a planet that provides a home, not just for us, but for all life on Earth. I think that's just so powerful and so meaningful to everyone, but especially to you know anyone working with food and food bloggers. And um, we're, we're in such a position to empower people to, to live and eat more sustainably that, that it's a huge opportunity for us to really take those words on board and, and, and think about what we can all do to help people uh, live more sustainably and make you know, more sustainable choices. Oh, I love that. I love that quote. And I love how that kind of ties into everything that we talked about. And food bloggers do have a responsibility. We are providing recipes to the entire world. That's kind of overwhelming sometimes to think about. But we have a responsibility to educate and to kind of do things the right way, I guess. 
And again, thank you just so much for being here. Matthew, we will put together a show notes page for you. So if anyone wants to go peek at that, you can find it at eatblogtalk.com forward slash my emissions. Matthew, I think you already said this, but I'm going to have you reiterate. Where can everyone find you online? So you can just find us at myemissions.green. Perfect. And are you guys on Instagram? We are, yes. It's just my underscore emissions. Okay, great. Everyone go check out Matthew and my emissions. And thanks again, Matthew, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.